Front Desk, Chapter 53. The moment I handed Mrs. Douglas my story on coming to America was also the moment I decided I had to enter the essay competition. I was ready. I could do this. There was still the tricky issue of $300 as an entry fee. I'd been so preoccupied with finding out who stole the missing car I had been putting out my tip truck. When I went home and I fished out the entry form, panic filled my lungs. The deadline was in less than a week. There was no way I could get $300 in tips in that time. Asking my parents for money was out. It was the holiday season. You'd think the holiday season would be a busy time for motels, but surprisingly, it's not. Folks would rather stuff themselves inside a tiny closet than have to stay in a motel over the holidays, so I couldn't ask my parents. That left only one option. My eyes slid down to the bag underneath my parents' bureau, the lucky pennies. I know they weren't my lucky pennies. They were our lucky pennies. I thought about the look on my dad's face whenever we found one of the rare ones, like Christmas morning. He was so proud of them. I knew if I told him, he'd never let me sell them. He was always talking about how much they'd be worth one day. I know they'd appreciate in value over time. He'd never let me do it. He'd kill himself scraping together the $300 some other way, probably by skipping meals and not buying my mom a Christmas present. And that I couldn't let him do. Not after everything they've done through this year. So I took the bag of special pennies and headed over to Hank. Hank looked down at the bag. Are you sure about this? Hank asked. I'm positive, I said to him. I explained to him why I needed the money. Hank nodded and agreed to go downtown first thing tomorrow before his shift. I gave him the address of the street in downtown LA where they traded rare and valuable coins and stamps. I'd looked it up in the library. Before I handed them over, I took one last look at the pennies. I held them to my cheek and kissed them goodbye. I'm going to miss you guys, I whispered. The next day, Hank returned with $312. I sucked in a breath as he handed me the crisp bills. Here you are, he said, when he handed me the last of the bills. Now go win a motel. I will, I said with a grin. Our luck was going to change soon. I could feel it in my bones. As the honeycomb sun dipped lower in the sky, I sat hunched over at the front desk and wrote my story. If I owned a motel by Mia Tang. If I owned a motel, I would treat every customer like family. I would bring all guests an extra blanket or a hot water bottle if they were cold. I would make them a cup of tea if they were having a bad day. And I would get it out of them what happened because sometimes terrible things happen but there's nothing more terrible than not having anybody to tell it to. Then, after they tell me, I would try to help them. Sometimes, problems seem humongous in your head, but if you tell someone, you'd be surprised what can happen. After we've solved it, we can celebrate together by playing Monopoly after dinner or jumping into the pool together. Life's short and it's important to celebrate good stuff when it happens. I would also protect myself and my customers by putting in a security camera, bulletproof glass inside the front office, and a gate so cars can't get stolen. I would charge customers $20 per night per room, but give them a a discount if they were here a weekly. If they were a weekly, because the weeklies have been living there for a long, long time. And that's a lot of pay every day. If I win your motel, I promise to always treat it with love, kindness, and respect. Your motel won't just be a business to me, it will be a home. Hank came into the front desk just as I was writing, just as I was finishing my essay. I handed it to him. 
What do you think? I asked him when he was done reading. It's wonderful, he said. Just wonderful. Is the grammar okay? Do you think I should add anything? I asked. I wouldn't change a thing, Hank said. His eyes steady. His steady eyes looked straight into mine and a years of doubt melted away. So this is it then, I said. I should just mail it? Hank reached down, dug out a card from his back pocket and handed it to me. It was Lupe's comment card, the one that said, you can't win if you don't play. I smiled. The next day, I mailed my essay. Front Desk, Chapter 54. At school that day, we had a substitute. Miss Morgan had big, thick glasses, whereas Mrs. Douglas was chatty and loud. Miss Morgan was soft-spoken and cautious. It's only my second time teaching, she explained to us. Some of the other kids, when they heard this, immediately started chatting, talking right over Miss Morgan, even when she clapped her hands two short times and then three long times, which was our class sign to pay attention. Really, guys, I must insist you pay attention, Miss Morgan said quietly, which prompted Jacob to cup his ear and ask, what did you say? The other kids thought this was really funny and burst out laughing. Jason was delightful. Jason was delighted. For the next half an hour, whenever Miss Morgan said anything, Jason would blurt out, Huh? What'd you say? I kicked Jason repeatedly under my seat to knock it off, but he ignored me. By lunchtime, Miss Morgan had lost all control of the class. Now kids were opening, kids were openly raising their hands and saying, Miss Mousy, I mean Miss Morgan, I have a question. Then covering their mouths as, as they disintegrated into nonstop giggling. As we filed out one by one for lunch, Miss Morgan crumbled into her chair. I went back to the classroom during lunch to grab a copy of my story for the essay contest so that I could show Lupe. As I was about to walk in, though, I heard sniffling. Miss Morgan was on the phone. I snuck a peek. Her glasses were on her desk and she was rubbing her eyes. I'm just not cut out for this, she said on the phone. You don't know what it's like, Wilma. The kids hate me. I immediately froze. I backed up against a wall next to the open door. I dared not move, afraid that Miss Morgan might hear me and know that I'd heard. She'd be so embarrassed. Maybe, maybe I just don't have what it takes to be a real teacher, she said, weeping in the phone. The lunch bell rang and Miss Morgan quickly got off the phone. I waited until some of the other students filed in first before slipping in too. As soon as the class resumed, Jason started doing his thing with his ear again. Huh? I really can't hear you. This isn't church, he shrieked. The other kids laughed again. Jason looked around the room, very pleased with himself. And you don't look like a nun, he added. Another monstrous wave of laughs came. Miss Morgan looked like she was about to cry. Can I talk to you? I asked Jason. Jason looked at me like I just asked him if he wanted to do the foxtrot. Uh, no, Jason said. I raised my hand. Miss Morgan, I just remembered Jason and I need to go to the gym and tell Mr. Henkin, the PE teacher, which kids are absent today. I lied. Can we just call him? Miss Morgan asked, picking up the phone. No, I said. He, um, you know, um, he's out on the field. No, he's not, Jason protested, but I kicked him hard under the seat and he shut up. Miss Morgan nodded and said we could go. When we got outside, I turned to Jason. What are you doing? I asked him. What do you mean? Why are you giving Miss Morgan a hard time? I said. You mean Miss Mousy? He laughed. It's not funny, I said. Seems pretty funny to everybody else. Well, I'm not everybody else, I said. And neither is Miss Morgan. Did you know I overheard her talking to her friend on the phone? And she said she didn't know if she had what it took to be a real teacher. And she was crying. 
So, Jason snapped, in the tone that reminded me so much of his father. I wanted to throw my hands up and walk away, but I didn't walk away. Instead, I said very softly, you don't have to do this. Do what? He asked. I looked into his eyes. You don't have to be your father, I said. Jason didn't say anything back. He just turned and walked back into the classroom. He didn't say a word to me the rest of the day, but he didn't make fun of Miss Morgan again. I didn't expect to see Jason after school, but later that day, he showed up at the motel. Mr. Yao's car roared into the motel around sunset with Jason in the passenger seat. I immediately tossed a baseball cap onto the front desk. Then I froze. Two Chinese immigrants had come about an hour ago. I had put them in room six. They're here. Chinese visitors were here, and so was Mr. Yao. Frantically, I ran out to the back door as Mr. Yao and Jason were getting into the car. Mom! Dad! I yelled, racing up the stairs. Mom! Dad! What? Mr. Yao asked. At the sound of Mr. Yao's voice, my parents rushed out of the room. My mom glanced at me and over at room six. Aha! Uh -huh. We weren't expecting you, Mr. Yao, she said. Mr. Yao didn't even look up at my mom. He turned his attention instead to the rooms, which now that it was getting dark outside, were, lighting to, were starting to light up one by one. You know, I've been hearing this distinguishing little rumor about a motel that's been hiding Chinese immigrants in the rooms, he said. My dad laughed nervously. Where, um, where did you hear that, he asked. That's crazy. That's what I said. Not only is it crazy, but stupid. Whoever's stupid enough to do things like this is bound to get caught. And when they do, they will never work in this country again. Never. The entire time he talked, he didn't take his eyes off the rooms. When all the rooms were lit up, he reached into his pocket, pulled out a pen and piece of paper, and started jotting down room numbers. And that's when I knew we were doomed. Room 6 did not have a registration card. Come down, Mr. Yao said to my parents. Let's take a little walk over to the front desk together, shall we? My parents descended the stairs. The sweat stains on my father's shirt stretched and spread. I lingered behind. If I could just warn the immigrants in room six, maybe they could slip out and hide. Mia, Mr. Yao yelled. I jumped. It was the first time Mr. Yao ever called me by my name. Yes, I asked. Stay where I can see you, he hissed. We're all going to the front desk together, and if the numbers on my list don't match the registration card, there will be heck to pay. In the front office, Mr. Yao picked up the stack of registration cards and started filing, flinging them onto the table one by one as he cross-referenced them with his hilus. When at last he came to room six and saw there's no registration card, he pounded the table with his hand. Are you hiding immigrants in my hotel? He screamed at my dad. Is that what you're doing? Look at me when I'm talking to you. My dad's eyes lifted inch by inch. No, sir, my dad denied. Don't lie to me. I was born at night, but not last night. Mr. Yao was standing so close to him, his angry words fell like spittle on my dad. I'm going to give you one last chance to tell me who in the world is in room six, he said in a low voice. I don't know, sir, my dad said. You don't know, Mr. Yao asked. Are you saying people just snuck in and started sleeping there? Because if that's the case, I'll call the cops right now. His threat cut into our his threat cut into us like glass. My mom and I looked at each other. Mr. Yao was making my dad choose between his job and his friends, and we both know which my dad would choose. There was no way my dad would throw the people in room six under the bus, not in a million years. As he opened his mouth to confess, I jumped in. You must have gotten the wrong number. There's no one in there, I said. We'll just see about that, Mr. Yao growled. 
As he lifted the front desk divider to go outside, a car pulled into the motel. Mr. Yao stopped for a minute to see who it was. The girl with the jeans stepped out of the car. She'd come back with her mom. My blood curdled when I saw her. I looked down at my jeans, her jeans, as the girl and her mom stepped into the front office. Mother, look, she pointed at my jeans. Those are mine. You stole my jeans. All around me, eyes narrowed, her eyes, Mr. Yao's eyes, her mother's eyes. I looked down at my jeans and up at her. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say, so I lied. These are mine, I said. Mr. Yao's mouth curled into a tight smile as he put his stack of registration cards down and turned his full attention to the girl. Sweat dripped down my spine, even as the front office air conditioning blasted on me. Is it true? Did you steal these girls' pants? Mr. Yao asked, not even looking at me. I squirmed in the jeans, the hard fabric digging into my flesh. No, I... I struggled to speak. My throat felt like sand. I didn't. I didn't steal. I don't steal, I swear. Liar, the girl said. Jason looked away. I followed his gaze out the window to my parents who had tiptoed out of the back and were now standing in front of room six. I quickly looked over at Mr. Yao, but he was too busy gawking at me like a criminal to notice where my parents had gone. Of course you stole them, Mr. Yao said. You're a thief. That's probably what you were doing at Macy's too when my wife saw you. I was not. I glared at him. I resented the way he looked at me, like he knew me so well when in fact he knew nothing about me. I don't steal, I repeated. You're saying these are your jeans? Yes, I insisted with as much conviction as I could muster. The, gore, the girl pointed at my jeans. Show us the label then, she said. She turned to Mr. Yao and added, my name's written in permanent marker on the label. Ugh, I knew I should have cut off the label. Do it or I'll do it, Mr. Yao commanded. He took a step forward me. He took a step towards me. Before he could dig his gross fingers into my jeans, I reached behind, squeezing my eyes shut, and pulled out the label. There, in all bold, shouty caps with the name Polly written in permanent marker. Take him off, Mr. Yao barked at me. Now! Polly smirked. She was clearly enjoying this. Mr. Yao pointed to the manager's quarters. Go, he said. I limped into my room and quietly closed the door. The jeans felt hot to my touch. I peeled them off like bark, stomping on them on the cold floor in my socks. Tears pulled at the base of my eyes as I stared at the jeans. Hours ago, my friend, my pride, and now my shame? I got out of my ugly floor. I got out my ugly floral pants and put them back on. Fear pressed me forward. The fear that if I didn't emerge from my room, they'd come barging in. Here, I said, handing the jeans back to the girls. I didn't apologize, nor did I cry. I refused to give Mr. Yao the satisfaction.